goodness. That was good. That was good. Uh, and that was, that was actually a surprise video. Pat did not know that was coming. Actually, the only people that knew that was coming was me and Brian and Bert. Uh, so that was a surprise, hopefully a good surprise. And, and I want to echo what they all said, um, especially for Pat and Karen and those on the admin team, um, just to clarify. So we have a lot of leadership, a leadership structure in our parent youth that's just awesome. Uh, throughout the year, we have an I team that assists Pat with the monthly meetings and the parent youth ministry with the breakout sessions as well. But then he assembles a, a special team for the youth camp. Uh, and that's the admin team. And, uh, and so that's a little bit larger. Um, it includes people from the I team, but it's a little bit larger because it's a big undertaking of that youth camp. And all those people serve so sacrificially. Pat does such a great job of leading them and bringing that context to bear so that we have a youth camp where our kids are affected by the spirit, are affected by the word preached. Um, and it's, it's just an excellently run time, an excellent time for the kids. Um, and so I, I, I think you heard that from the testimonies as well, just how God um, spoke to them. And I really appreciated uh, what Emily was saying from the admin side, uh, that you could see God even working on the admin team in their hearts. And I know my daughter Ruthie, it was her first time on the admin team, not as a camper. And God was working in her heart as well as she served. It was such a, a blessing. So I just want to echo what they said thank you pat for your leadership thank you admin team those that led uh the teams as well team leaders thank you thank you so much donna or, or nancy and uh karen uh, i guess donna will be here next uh, next service but thank you thank you um okay well uh let's uh open our bibles to deuteronomy chapter six Deuteronomy chapter 6. And as you're um, turning in your Bibles, uh, just to, as a reminder of where we are, uh, we are taking a break from our series. We uh, are in our series on the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, within our series on the Beatitudes, or I'm sorry, the Sermon on the Mount, within our series in, on the book of Matthew. Um, and so we're just taking a break today uh, because... Your pastor, Jace Hudson, overpromised, and I have a feeling I'm going to underdeliver here today. <laughs> he, I think he said during the Fatherhood series, Jacob's going to answer all your questions on parenting teens. Lord, help me to do that. But what I, I felt uh, would be an excellent text to, for us to study today and to hear um, would be from Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to read to you... Um, uh, the text that we probably all know so well as parents um, is uh, verses 4 through 9. So would you uh, read with me here um, or as I read? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Would you pray with me? All joking aside, Lord, I do need you. We need you as we hear your word. Would you speak to us through your spirit? We thank you for your word. Your word is eternal. Your word is authoritative. Your word is our ultimate source of authority in knowing you, in the world you put us in, Lord God, and knowing us. So we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come to you to illumine our hearts and our minds to know you better, to know your word. So would you do that today? Speak to us today through your word, Father God. Whether we are parents of teenagers, whether we are teenagers, or whether we're not one of those, 
Father, would you speak to us through your word today? We thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the teen years are full of excitement, energy, activity, and more energy. A parent uh, once likened it to like a baby eagle starting to test out its wings in the nest, right? It's big enough to actually think, okay, I might be able to fly. And as it unfurls its wings and starts beating it, it's like the parent is sitting in the nest, getting beat up on its, on its face, saying, okay, wait, yeah, you're almost ready to fly. And just getting, it's just almost like it's chaos. That's one picture of the teenage years. It's an exciting time. It's an exciting time. But they can also be scary years, too, with lots of questions, right? The questions like, how am I going to get through these years? That might be the question the parents actually ask. <laughs> how am I going to get through this? But the kids also are probably thinking those, those questions. How am I going to get through this to the next season? What will others think of me? Am I doing anything right? And really, those are questions for both the parents and the teens during these years. Well, knowing that all Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, we can turn to his word in this season of life in the teenage years, both for parents and for the kids. And so we look to Deuteronomy 6 today to guide us as we try to shepherd our teenage kids. Now, for those of us, uh, for those of you who are are not familiar with the book uh, that Ted Ted Tripp wrote, it's called Shepherding a Child's Heart, which uh, introduced to me, at least, this dynamic that we're not merely, as parents, imparting knowledge to our kids or skills that are necessary for life. We're not simply training them in that way. Rather, we are instructing their hearts. We're helping them to see the spiritual side of life. We're pointing them to their need for a savior and we're pointing them to Jesus as the Savior. We're giving them the life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is actually better pictured as a shepherd that tends his sheep, guiding them and leading them to rich pasture and, and clean water, protecting them along the way. And so we, as parents, we really truly are shepherding in a way rather than just simply instructing and giving, and, you know, giving skills. Deuteronomy 6, well, we are to shepherd our teens, I should say. We are to show them the clean water of God's word. We are to protect them when necessary and prepare them for the real world that's coming and coming soon. And so Deuteronomy 6 gives us a roadmap in parenting our children. And where it starts, though, parents, it starts with our hearts. And so I've got two points today, two points in my message. And the first is coming straight from verses 4 and 5, and that is to love God first. Love God first. And the second point is teach God's Word. Nice and simple. So love God first. I'm, I am, by vocation, I'm a teacher. As you probably know, I'm a fifth grade teacher, and we just started this past week again uh, into our next school year, so there were a lot of, you know, that anx- those anxious feelings um, of, you know, do I have all of my supplies? Do I have, you know, the, the right binder? Do I, you know, I don't know any of these other kids, and, um, you know, I don't know this, this, uh, this room. It, everything's new, and, and, and so... That, those are my feelings, and then the kids are coming in with the same. You know, uh, it, it, I, it's an anxious time. But 
I love teaching. I love teaching kids, and I love seeing their personalities. And over the years, this is my 24th year teaching or in education, um, every year there's a, a, a number of kids who have a difficult time paying attention. And, and I don't mean that occasional mind-wandering type of, you know, ha- having a tough time paying attention. For some reason or other, uh, some students, a handful each year, are perpetually and consistently tuned out during instruction. Um, and, and so they're either, their minds are wandering and they're quiet, and you can tell because they're looking around or, you know, they're, they're not looking at you, or when you call on them, they're like, uh, what? Where am I? Uh, uh, but then there's also those students who are noisy, and, and they just don't even know it, you know, and, they're, and they're, their minds are wandering, and they just want to talk, you know, they just want to talk about the, you know, the day, they want to talk about the video game they were playing yesterday to their neighbor, and it's all while I'm trying to teach math, right? And so, for one reason or another, they're just consistently tuned out during that time. Interestingly enough, aside, when they're engaged with something that they actually enjoy and they find interesting, they can lock themselves in, right? And so it's that job of the teacher to help them say, okay, how can I stay focused when I need to during the school year um, and during a school day? And I, I remember learning a trick from a, a fellow teacher who used um, this. They cut out in construction paper large uh, capital letters, F-O-C-U-S. And then they took clear contact paper and s- just, you know, smoothed it out on the top of their desk. And they said, okay, Johnny, When you see those letters, I want them to remind you to focus, focus, right? Okay, it's it's your visual reminder that you are supposed to keep your attention on the teacher or keep your attention to the work at hand that you're supposed to be doing at your desk. And I I believe I even tried to use that uh, once or twice. I realized, you know, within a day or two, Johnny actually started focusing on peeling up the, you know, the contact paper and, you know, trying to dig under the letters. And so it didn't really work very well. But um, for some kids, I think it does work. It's just a reminder, right? Isn't that like our relationship with God? We know our hearts are to be devoted to the Lord and to Him only. David says in Psalm 86, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Our hearts are prone to wander. We are lured and enticed by so many things, so uh, both blatant things and sometimes subtle things, we are lured away. Our minds and our hearts focus on things other than God, and we allow them to take His rightful place, the throne of our hearts, the place of worship. And so our passage today starts with that all caps reminder for our hearts. Here, O Israel, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh, your God, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. I like to use the name Yahweh. Whenever I see those all caps letters in the um, Old Testament in particular, because that's what that represents. It's a name, not a title. It's the covenant name of the Lord our God that he gave to his people to remind them of his relationship with them. And that helps me when I read those words, it helps me to think, Oh, this, this is a personal God that I have a relationship with. And so this is our all-caps reminder to focus. Where is our heart supposed to be? And so, and a message on something so practical as parenting teenagers, I, I would be remiss if I didn't start with that critical foundation, the heart from which we are to parent them and to shepherd them. Verse 4 is called the Shema in, uh, in, in the Jewish culture. 
And it's called that after the Hebrew word, which is the Hebrew word for hear, the first word of verse 4. And it calls us to a total devotion to the Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is our devotion, parents. This is our call. In the New Testament, um, in Mark uh, chapter 12 in particular, that phrase, with all your might, is actually broken down into with all your mind and with all your strength. And so it's that you get that picture from both of those passages that it involves our whole person. We are not to show our devotion to God with only our actions or our might, but with our thoughts as well. We are to be totally devoted to God with our whole being. He is to be our one consuming passion. You see, the, the original language, the, the Hebrew of verse 4, it actually carries the meaning that the Lord is to be Israel's only God. When it says the Lord our God, the Lord is one, it's more emphasizing the exclusivity of the Lord being to the Israelites. Rather than his oneness, he is one. And the Lord God is one. We know that in three persons. But he is saying here, the Lord God is your only God. There shall be no other God in your heart. So parents, as we look to parenting our teens, is God your only God? Do you love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might? The Lord is to be our only God. and We are to be devoted to him. That's not a slavish devotion devoid of feeling or passion either. We are commanded to love him. Love him completely. And that might seem weird. It might seem difficult to command a feeling if we think of love as a feeling. But we are. We are com commanded to take joy in him. The effect of this command should be devastating. If you read this as a parent and say, okay, this is my foundation, I am to do what? I am to love, give him my whole heart? That should be devastating. It lays bare any feeble attempt to fake our way through Christianity. You see, there is no room for pharisaical outward obedience. We are to love the Lord. In other parts of the Bible, we are commanded, I mean commanded, to actually take joy in him. We are to delight in him. Jesus tells us in the Beatitudes, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always, always. David commands us in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord. And there are numerous other places where God's people are actually told, are commanded, to, that joy in Him is a matter of obedience. John Piper says in his, his small book, The Dangerous Duty of Delight, what a great title, The Dangerous Duty of Delight, he says, joy is not just the spin-off of obedience to God, but part of obedience. It seems as though people are willing to let joy be a byproduct of our relationship to God, but not an essential part of it. People are uncomfortable saying that we are duty-bound to pursue joy. And so here we see it's laid bare for us as parents. Our job, first and foremost, is to love God. Take joy in Him. Delight in Him. So love Him. Parents, love Him first. 
Be devoted to God and God alone. Set your will, set your mind, set your strength and your soul, your whole being to loving God. He is our greatest delight. He is our greatest treasure that will never disappoint. Anything else we set our hearts upon is fleeting. It's temporary. And it's bound to disappoint. Can you see the importance if we are to train up our children to love him? They'll see right through us if we don't love him first. What kind of God do we want to hold up to our teens? Do we want to hold out a God that is worth dying for? Do we want to hold out a God that surpasses anything in this world that we might want? Or do we hold out a God who is a means to an end? He gets me the peace and the happiness that I want, right? He gives me that fire insurance I need when I die. The kids will know. They'll see your life and they'll know what kind of God you are following. So we need to ask ourselves before we bring this to our kids, we must ask ourselves, what are we living for? Our kids will know. They know our idols probably better than we do. They'll know what we are devoted to. They'll know what we are passionate about. And so, the thought of this, for me, and ought to be for each of us, because this is a, a word for all of us, right? It's not just for parents of teenagers. It's for all of us. It should drive us to our knees. So, Help me, Lord, to love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my might. May I love you first. May I love you only. So considering our jobs as parents, no matter the season of our children, that our children are in, whether they are infants or they're you know, toddlers or little children or they're teens or they're adult children, doesn't matter. We need God's abundant grace to overflow to us that we might love him first. We need his grace then for wisdom to train up our children. We need grace for patience with our kids. We need grace to guide our children. We need grace for more patience with our kids. We need grace for confidence that we might, we might lead our children. We need grace to be patient with our kids. We need, to be pa we need to be compassionate. Did I say we need to be patient with our kids? We need to forbear. And so all of those things, we need God's grace. We need to be on our knees for him and his grace. Most of all, we need his grace to authentically hold out him as the prize to our children. He is the one treasure we want to hold out to them. He is the one treasure our kids should run after and set their hearts on. So we must dazzle our teens with Christ. And we can only do that by his strength. So parents, love God with all your hearts. Give him your full devotion. Cry out to him for a heart that is united to worship him alone. Thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That as we see, we cannot do that. He gives us the grace that pours out from the cross. So God gives us our target, right? This is our goal for parenting teens in these first two verses, of ver uh, verses four and five in chapter six. We want our kids to love the Lord and be fully devoted to him. We want their hearts aflame for him, willing to give him their lives, to do anything for him. That's our goal. As we, or as they leave our homes, no matter what their plans, you know, whatever their pursuits in life, their, their life goals, we'll, we will have done our jobs if they are doing it all for the glory of God. 
So this brings me to that second point because we have to ask, okay, how are we to do that? What are the practical steps we can take as parents? And so my second point today is teach God's word. Teach God's word. We see this in verses six through nine. We are to first love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And then verses verses six through nine show us, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is very practical. So my second point is going to be really practical as well. I'm going to get into some um, nitty-gritty, some stuff. How can we do this? By the time our children are, are, are in the teen years of their lives, developmentally speaking, of course, they no longer need our shoes tied. They don't need their coats zipped up or their noses wiped for them. They're independent in many ways. They have their own thoughts. They are forming their own convictions. And they have a lot of questions about the world around them and how they fit in. In a few very short years, they'll be on their own in this wide world. Paul Tripp writes in his book, Age of Opportunity, this is a period when the teenager is flooded with questions. Who am I? Do I look okay? Why is life so confusing? Will I ever remember all of the rules? What is right and what is wrong? Who is right and who is wrong? What's happening to my body? What am I doing with my, what am I going to do with my life? Will I be a success or a failure? Do people really like me? Am I normal? Is my family normal? Probably not. <laughs> is God for real? The world around our teens is getting bigger and bigger as they enjoy more freedoms, more freedoms and opportunities, maybe like driving cars or getting a job, going to college. This can be a scary time for them with a lot of uncertainties. So our goal for our children in this stage of life is to be wholly devoted to the Lord to be prepared to live on their own and to take on the world without us as they lean in him. By God's grace, we'll get there, and he has given us the means by which he wants us to accomplish this task, to reach this goal. We see this in verses 6 through 9. God has given us the mandate to raise up our children in the way they should go from Proverbs 22, 6. And we're commanded to teach them to observe everything that Jesus taught us. And that's in Matthew 28, 20. So just a few things here. Here I'm going to get some practicals and lists. So number one, we must teach the word to our children. It's what it says. Fathers in particular, you maybe have heard this before. You are the pastor of your home. You must assume the role, the role of a Bible teacher for your kids. Please don't assume that your children's ministry do, will do it for you. And as they grow older, don't assume the parent youth ministry will do your job of teaching your children God's word. And so here's something practical. Systematically go through God's word. Teach them God's word. Through, just start from the beginning and read it through with them. Read it as a family, regularly. Find a time and just open up God's word together. But not just systematically either. We be ready, parents. Be ready to teach it during impromptu moments. Be quick on your feet with the word, in other words. We're given in verses 6 through 9 all these scenarios when you rise, when you uh, go to sleep, when you are walking by the way, um, when you lie down, when you, you, you shall bind them as a sign on your hands. I mean, it's always have God's word ready. Be ready to talk through situations your child is going through at odd times, uh, not just when you have it scheduled, in other words. So what you teach at home, around the dinner table, or at night in the living room, or in the bedroom late at night, or, on the, or in the car on your way to the store, 
or on your date over coffee or ice cream or my favorite is donuts. Well, what you teach and what you talk about, what you tell your child will have far, uh, will, will have far longer reaching impact than our parent youth ministry. So teach the word to your children. Number two, teach your child to detect their own sin and hate their own sin. And this, like we're, we're shown in Scripture here, this is done through just constant conversation. Help them see their actions, their thoughts, their words, and how they are an overflow of the desires of their hearts. We've learned a lot from this pulpit about this, but it's another thing altogether to actually put it into practice. And so that's our job as parents. We as parents need to help our kids in seeing their own hearts. And this is just basically done by talking a lot. In those teen years, you'll be talking a lot. So those dads that don't like to talk, too bad. You're going to have to talk a lot and listen a lot. The teen years present a unique set of opportunities through which parents can shepherd their children. And we, we call them opportunities rather than problems because really for each one, we do have a chance to guide and instruct our children using probing questions and allowing God's word to speak into their lives. There's an opportunity. That's, that's the whole point of, of Paul Tripp's book, Age of Opportunity and Parenting Teens. So a modern version of uh, chapter six, of De Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, could be, you shall teach them diligently to your children, meaning uh, God's commands, and shall talk of them when you sit in the living room, and when you run to the grocery store for a carton of milk, and when you lie in the hammock on a warm summer night, and when you sit at the breakfast table over your bowl of Cheerios. It's all the time. When you've filled yourself, parents, with God's word, it just finds its way into your conversations throughout the day. Let me talk about now just a few typical teenage opportunities. And this, I, I've taken a lot of this from Paul Tripp's book, Age of Opportunity, so I give him credit, definitely. It's an excellent book that I recommend. So these are common uh, temptations and tendencies for everyone. But in particular, in the teen years, they seem to be magnified. So that's how I'd put them. Opportunity number one is the idea of identity. Your child will be asking those tough questions about their identity. Am I ugly? Do people find me attractive? But who am I? And so you have an opportunity here. I'm going to go through this list a little bit fast, too, actually. Um, you have a gospel opportunity in this, this, uh, in this area of identity to point them to Christ uh, and their union with him through the cross. So identity is one. Another typical teen opportunity is the fear of man. They desire their peer acceptance or they fear their peer's rejection. It's extremely, extremely um, powerful uh, desires in the teen years. And so here you have, as parents, a gospel opportunity. You can remind them of the true criticism that means the most, eternally. God's criticism of us, God's judgment of us, is what matters most. And his criticism of us, his judgment, has been placed on the cross. So help them see that. Help them see what matters most is God's judgment and what he thinks of us. And it's been already paid for so that now his demeanor towards us is love. God's criticism of us on the cross is deeper than anything anyone else can level against us. We can fear God then and we can love others rather than be afraid of them. His judgment against us has been poured out on Christ and we no longer need to fear the rejection that means the most, and that's his rejection. Another tendency uh, for kids um, in these years, the teenage years, 
Um, and kids, hey, this is just, you know, generalizations. Don't take this as a, a criticism of you in particular. But pre teenagers usually do not hunger for wisdom. And they especially don't want your correction. So that's just a tendency. And you've got parents, um, an opportunity here to win them toward actually desiring correction. Win them towards wisdom. And our gospel opportunity is to hold out Jesus as the embodiment of wisdom, appeal to their relationship with Christ and their desire to be like him. Another tendency that our kids have in the teenage years, you'll see, is a tendency towards legalism. Um, and they'll push the boundaries of what is allowed. And it's like they're becoming that modern-day Pharisee. You said, I'm allowed to do this, and I'm not allowed to do that. Here are the lines that you drew so I can get this close to it, right? And so they get to the letter of the law, and that's what they argue with you becoming like a lawyer. So you've got an opportunity, parents. You have an opportunity here to talk about the spirit of the law more than uh, the letter of the law. And so we need to be skilled about that. We need to be compassionate, but we need to be winsome in talking about what is the spirit of the law. It's a gospel opportunity because as you talk about the spirit of the law, you and your child should come to the realization that it's impossible to follow God's law perfectly. And they need Jesus as a savior. And if it's only a set of rules to be followed to the letter, then they won't need God. But that's not his word to us. So we have a gospel opportunity there. We have a tendency, our children have a tendency in the teenage years to be unwise with their choice of companions. Uh, Paul Tripp writes, we need to approach these conversations about their friends with sensitivity and patient love. Teenagers tend to be prickly and protective when it comes to discussion of their friends. It's, it's like their operational rule, he says, is this, to reject my friends is to reject me. So here we have, in the teenage years, parents, um, an opportunity. Have conversations about friendship. Have conversations about choosing friends uh, in general without, you know, before talking about specific people that they might like or have a friendship with. Go into your conversations with your kids with a spirit of inquiry. This is a practical for you. A spirit of inquiry, trying to draw them out with questions, not try to lead them to answers that you want through your questions, but just draw them out. What do they think? What do they feel? How do they, how do they think about so-and-so and why? Draw them out. Be open to hear them out. Another tendency, another temptation in particular in the teen years is a sus susceptibility to sexual temptation. So as our kids enter the teen years, it's, it's like they finally realize there's an under, another gender, right? And they all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wait, that's a boy. Oh, and, I, and I'm a girl. Oh, th that's very different. So parents, this is our opportunity to be brave, right? And not to cower away from those conversations. Take the initiative, dads. Take the initiative, parents, to talk with your children. We need to be the ones to initiate the conversation, conversation with our kids so that they're hearing from us and God's word, not just the world around them or even just their friends. Here, Paul Tripp again says, um, we must be committed to open, positive, and consistent parenting in this area. We must be committed to pursuing our children with honest questions and patient discussions. We must be we must put the subject of sex on the table early and leave it there to be revisited until the child leaves home. And I was given the uh, recommendation, I totally agree with this, a parent um, who, who uh, saw this quote said, it's not just when they leave home too. Keep it on the table even after they leave the home. Because we want this gospel opportunity to remind our children that God created sex. He wants us to enjoy it. And he has placed boundaries for us, around us, so that we can enjoy it within a marriage covenant. Another tendency uh, for our children uh, 
is an, es- an absence of eschatological perspective. In other words, they don't live with an eternity in view. They just live for the now. It's hard for them to see that mentality of what I'm doing now, what I'm sowing now, I will reap later even. That long-term view. And so it's hard for them to see that. And so we must teach them to think in terms of long-term investment. We have a gospel opportunity, and the gospel gives us eyes for the future. The gospel gives us eyes and hearts that long for eternity with God. So we can share that. We can t- talk with, that, uh, with our kids about that. In all these opportunities, we as parents are aiming at the heart of our children, not getting impossibly entangled with only their behaviors. We want to focus on their heart without neglecting addressing their behaviors when necessary. Proverbs 23, 26 says it well, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. So the gospel opportunity and letting them see their heart, we must point them to the merciful and forgiving God because of the cross. Our kids, as our kids get a glimpse of their hearts, we want them to then run to Christ for forgiveness and healing. And as they get to know Christ as their Savior better, they actually will get to know themselves better and understand their hearts better. Now, those are some typical tendencies or opportunities for kids. Let me just share, uh, before I close it up, just a few obstacles that parents have in the teenage years, all right? So I'm going to speak to the parents. Here are some parenting opportunities, okay? Um, One, and uh, this whole list is coming straight from my life, okay? So I got this whole long list of things that I know I've done. Um, which is first talking too much and listening too little. I, I have a tendency, I know, to make their confession for them. I'm going to tell you what your sin is. This is this and that and it and the other and this is how your heart is. I know your heart better than you. Okay, don't do that. Don't, don't go into your conversations lecturing rather than having that spirit of inquiry. Don't talk too much. Just listen. Another one that we can do very often as parents is to take their sin personally, take it, even take their rebellion personally, like this isn't a personal affront, forgetting that truly their sin is against God first and foremost, and we have the job of being that ambassador of reconciliation to him. We can have the tendency to blow up at their sin because we're taking it seriously rather than having a compassionate heart and gentle and patient with them. We can give up and think it's too late. Oh, they're so old already before I've even started doing all this stuff. I haven't read them God's Word. I haven't taught them God's Word, and they're already 13. It's too late. Giving up is our tendency. We have a tendency as parents to think we have uh, all the answers. It's, we have the tendency to rest on yesterday's manna and think, I don't need to grow during this time. I got it all. We have the tendency to clamp down and be reactionary to their problems and their opportunities. We have the tendency to forget that we're a sinner, too. And then there's all of our own precious idols that our teenagers like to hook. They like to tweak our idols, that idol of comfort, respect, appreciation, success, control. And all these parenting obstacles The gospel speaks loud and clear to us as parents. We cannot do this in our own strength. We must humble ourselves. We must die to ourselves daily and rely on the grace of God given to us through the sacrifice of his son on the cross. So, let me give you a few application points. I know I've been pretty, I've been practical here, but so a few application points in conclusion. Here's some ideas, just some thoughts here uh, to, to use. In the teenage years, date your child. Provide a context for dialogue. Make sure that it's something inviting to them, something that they enjoy. I love donuts. My kids don't all love donuts, so I'll give that up, and I'll let them choose where they want to go for their date. 
you know, wherever they want to go. We'll go to, and we'll just ask, ask questions. Just ask questions of them. What are their dreams? What are their hopes? They don't have to be just, you know, the, the most focused and, you know, probing questions of spirituality. Just get to know them. Let them speak. Ask questions and listen a lot. Have family devotions, as I said before. Just get into the Word. They, you, don't have to have, you don't have to overthink it here, fathers. Just open the Word, read a, read a chapter, ask them, hey, what do you think? Share your own thoughts from it, pray, and you're done. That's family devotions. Do it often when you find, a time, when you find the best times. Create memories and traditions through the word, or around the Word, like at holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter. Um, or on birthdays. And don't be afraid to start new traditions. If your kids are in the teenage years and you, aren't, you haven't been doing those traditions, um, don't be afraid to start a new one. We learned uh, one while my kids were in the, um, their teenage years. Uh, our birthdays were kind of, you know, just the traditional. We have a cake and um, open up presents and, and celebrate their birthday. Another year of, you know, God's grace. But we had some friends over one year and one of our kids were teenagers. And they said, well, in our family, we each share... Uh, an evidence of grace of God, the grace of God in their life, and then we pray for them. I'm like, wow, okay, yeah, <laughs> I should have been doing that. But um, but ever since I've been trying to do that, and on their birthdays, it's a great tradition. So don't be afraid to start one, start um, traditions uh, that are new. But parents, most practical is to, for you is to read, read God's word, study good books as well as the Bible. Go to the parent-youth breakouts. Go to the parent-youth uh, ministry um, s uh, on Saturday nights. Uh, read good books on teenagers and technology, teenagers and social media. Read good books on relationships to help you guide your children. Read r good books on what is same-sex attraction and what does God's Word say about it? What does God's Word say about the transgender issues that are so prevalent today uh, in the teenage worlds? What, what does God's Word have to say about work and vocation? as they get ready to go out into their, um, their single life um, or into life outside of your house. Read good books, parents. And, and lastly, I want to just say, parent in community. Okay, parent, open yourself to your community. Seek advice and the observations of those around you. We're not able to parent our teens without the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and He has given us the church community as a context in which we can raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We need each other. We need each other in this season. We need to hear from one another. We need to ask the questions like, how are you handling technology in your home? Why do, why do you do it that way? And what are you telling your kids about dating? And well, why? What, what, what do you see in my child that I, need to, uh, that I need to know? What do you see in my parenting that I need to know? So we gotta come to grips with the fact that we can't do this on our own. We've got to admit that we're desperate for help. It's in, in this desperate state that we can humble ourselves. We can cry out to the Lord. Remembering that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So, church, let's love the Lord our God together. Let's love Him with all of our hearts together in community. And let's seek to encourage one another to teach our children diligently God's holy word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We praise you. We, we thank you, God, that we don't have to go through parenting teenagers alone, but we have your word. We have your spirit. We have your church to lead us or to help us, Father God. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the work you have already been doing in our church and in the teens in our church. I thank you, God, for that experience of, of seeing them worship you at uh, youth camp. God, would you give us the grace then as parents, as grandparents, as a church together, Father God, to continue to shepherd our children, to point them to Christ, to share the gospel, to live the gospel with them. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. 
Well, in response to God's word, uh, we'd like to take a moment now to go to the table, the Lord's Supper. So if you would, stand with me now. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together before we sing. If you haven't already gotten uh, elements, they are in the foyer there, um, so you can get one now. Um, and we invite everyone to join us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you place your faith in him and he is your, you claim him as your savior, we invite you to join us. It's a, it's a meal we're joining together. Um, and so if you have not, though, if you have not placed saving faith in Jesus Christ, if you've not claimed him as your savior, um, we invite you to observe uh, rather than taking it with us because this is, it's a family meal. So if you have questions about having a heart that is devoted to the Lord and being saved, giving him your heart, uh, would you talk with us, myself or Pat or Bert, or Brian, anyone who you're here with that is taking this? We'd love to talk with you about Jesus. First Corinthians 11 Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, this is Jesus' body, broken for us, that we may turn to him in our time of need. You may take the bread. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Church, the blood of Christ spilled that we may be washed, that we might have hope for our future generations as well. You may take the cup. Amen. Amen. Let's respond in singing. <laughs>